0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us.
1: Today in the show we're going to talk a little about winter wheat herbicides. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's happening on your farm, our number here 44 AGPHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so to begin with today, I'll just give you a couple things on winter wheat herbicides. I, it, it's relatively simple compared to the corn or soybean discussion we often have because you don't have a lot of choices when we talk pre-emerge. When we talk post-emerge, you got more choices. But a lot of times right now, guys are thinking, okay, I'm going to seed now. Should I put a pre on? A lot of people skip the pre, and I understand that. But by the same token, a lot of winter annuals hurt winter wheat bad. So I would just say I'd really strongly recommend you try one of these herbicides. Sharpen's the very best thing on broadleaves. So if you have a kochia problem, you got a problem with winter annuals, literally any, almost any broadleaf weed that's been hurting your wheat, at least on those fields where you got weed pressure, put Sharpen down. It costs like nine dollars ten dollars an acre for the two for two ounces of sharpen it's really 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 good it's going to give you fantastic burn down and residual for at least a month month and a half so it it's great i would highly recommend that if grass is your number one thing my number one recommendation is probably prepare 0.2 ounces some guys are running with in high ph soils otherwise 0.3 ounces is the standard rate you're talking three to five dollars an acre that's it dirt cheap Now, it's an ALS herbicide, so it's not going to kill ALS-resistant weeds, but it has activity on some broadleaf weeds and lots of grass weeds, including some of the toughest species out there, like some of the brome species, for example. Prepare is the name of that herbicide. And then your third choice is Anthemflex. Now, you could use Zidua. But you can also buy Anthem Flex that has Zidua plus AIM. So, just for simplicity, I'm just going to say Anthem Flex, okay? But just understand Zidua is the group 15 with all the residual. AIM is just a burn down product, and that's what this combination is. It's the active ingredients found in Zidua and AIM. That's Anthem Flex. Anyway, Anthem Flex does not cost very much money. It's got good residual because of that uh, Zidua component that's in there, and it's got good burn down because of the AIM component that's in there. But if you've been having troubles with resistant weeds, especially grasses, but even a little bit on the broadleaf side, but again, especially grasses, then we would highly recommend this product, Anthem Flex, right before your wheat emerges or right after your wheat emerges. Okay, don't do it early pre, don't do it, you know, the day after you plant your wheat, do it right before that wheat comes out of the ground or just shortly after that as it emerges. So anyway, those are really my three options when we talk pre-emerge and that's what I would probably focus on today. And anyway, throughout the show, we'll talk a little more about residual herbicides, contact herbicides, post-emerge herbicides in winter wheat. I, I would also say As we were talking yesterday about these big issues, so this is on a completely different note than winter wheat herbicides, Darren and I were talking yesterday, all these meetings that we've done with farmers here in the last couple of months, done a lot of speaking and and a lot of listening to what's really going on in the countryside. There are some people that are absolutely losing their minds right now that, oh, my gosh, all the herbicides are going to run out. No, they're not. There's plenty of supply out there, so don't be panicking and paying two to three times the money you should so just take it easy a little bit keep in mind that a lot of the herbicides that are going to get used next year are already produced they're either on their way here or they're already here in this in this country and i'm talking about the united states now so there's lots of supply out there at ag retailers and there's going to be lots of supply before next spring so Don't get too concerned that, oh my gosh, everything's going to run out and I'm going to pay five times the price. No, you're not. So it's going to be fine. Just calm down a little bit, and I would say make some calls and check some things out, talk to some people, but don't be panic buying from some of these people that are price gouging right now because I do see some of that. I was just talking to somebody who was going to pay 60% Sixty percent more than what name brand Roundup was for a generic. Sixty percent more, just because they could have it today. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? All you have to do is just order it somewhere this fall. That just like normal, there are going to be most farmers that are going to wait till spring. The twenty or thirty percent of farmers that are trying to buy this fall, there's plenty to go around for the twenty to thirty percent of farmers that want to buy this fall. It's going to be fine. So anyway, I just say this because I just don't want you to overpay. I just don't want you to get taken by somebody who's pr- trying to price gouge and prey on your fears that, oh, everything's going to run out. The only thing we're even, I'd say, highly concerned about is is glufosinate. That's Liberty. There isn't going to be enough of that to go around, but there's still going to be a fair amount to go around. And I wouldn't buy that today either because we don't know what BSF's official price is. What I've seen with their preliminary price, it looks better than a lot of the the, the prices I've seen floating around the countryside already by far. So just wait. They're going to come out with their pricing about mid-October, and then we'll see how that Liberty glufosinate thing shakes out. So anyway, there there's plenty of supply and just about everything else so yes we want you to order a little earlier pay a little earlier make your plans a little bit earlier than normal don't wait until may or june or for that matter even april but if you're doing stuff this fall and early this winter you're going to be fine you're going to get everything that you would like yep it's going to cost a little bit more than last year but other than roundup and liberty prices are not that crazy oh and I'm saying the name brands, but just understand all glyphosates, all glufosinates, I don't care if it's name brand, generic, everything, those two molecules have gone way up in price around the world. So everybody's paying more. I don't care if you're in the United States or Canada or Brazil or South America, doesn't matter. Uh, South Africa, uh, Europe, everybody's paying a lot more for these molecules, glyphosate and glufosinate. A lot of the rest of the ag chem it's up 5 to 10%. It's no real huge deal, and there's plenty of supply. All right, we're going to talk winter wheat herbicides on our show today. If you'd like to give us a call, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned.
2: Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity with fast payback, an expanded application window, (sighs) makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima Fungicide. Call your BASF
0: rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima Fungicide is not registered in all states. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPHD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio talking about winter wheat herbicides. And as you're saying, well, wait a second, I'm not planting winter wheat. I've got spring wheat on my farm. Hey, guess what? There's going to be a lot of crossover here on some of the products and, and other cereal crops as well. Also, some of the active ingredients and modes of action that we're talking about here are going to play into herbicide programs and almost any crop you want to raise. So we'll get to some of those chemistries here in just a second. I know we're going to talk about a couple of them right now with Matthew Wiggins from FMC. Matthew, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah,
4: absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, everybody is excited about having a Group 15 product that you can spray in front of wheat. Why don't you talk to us about that and what that means for farmers in your region? I know in in different parts of the country they're talking about Italian rye grass and and some of the other troublesome grass species, but, man, I think about some of the small-seeded broadleaf control those products can bring as well.
4: Absolutely. You know, that's exactly what we're faced with in my territory being Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, our primary weed species are Italian ryegrass, but also Italian, I mean, um, annual bluegrass, that that seems to be a, a annual grass species that we're having more and more issues with. Uh, but like you said, using a good group 15 herbicide, um, you know, at planting or shortly thereafter planting um, is a really good way to make sure that we're controlling both those annual grass species that we fight every winter. Um, but also they do offer some um, really good suppression on chickweed and henbit, and some of those other winter annual weeds that we have.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. We get so many growers that are talking to us about these tough winter annuals. They, they've really become an issue in some areas. And as we drive around the country, there'll be fields just lit up with some of these things. And I'm wondering why guys haven't got the pre out there. So what do you think holds farmers back? Is it just that they haven't done pre's in wheat before or is it cost or is it something else?
4: Well, I think it's a little bit of three different things. I think it's, you know, probably not widespread adopted to manage weeds and wheat like we do our other crops like, say, corn or soybeans. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes cost does come into play. But I, I think really, too, a piece of it could be timing, right? I mean, this point in time of the year, I, I know how it is, at least in my neck of the woods. We're trying to get crops harvested. We're we're shelling corn and we're cutting beans right now as I speak in Tennessee and Kentucky. So. Um, You know, we're a little bit tasked for time at this point in time of the year, but just like with our other crops, using a good residual herbicide like Anthem Flex in your wheat um, can really help buy you time on the backside and really help save some heartache um, later on in the season.
0: Okay, Brian was talking about the the Zidua component that's in Anthem Flex. Can you talk to us about the other ingredient in there and why you've got something else in there? Because that's a pretty fantastic product, the the, uh, AIM component of that on its own.
4: That, that's exactly right. So Anthem Flex is a pre-mixed product that consists of peroxy sulfone, which gives us that good, long-lasting residual on those uh, annual grasses and annual broadleaves. But also having that aim or that carpenter zone component in there really helps with controlling those small emerged broadleaf weeds when we're making that application timing. Um, You know, typically that application timing is going to be a delayed pre or an early post application. Um, So that allows some of those broadleaf weeds to come up and AIM is very, very good about controlling those small little annual broadleaf weeds.
0: All right. Now for growers who have used uh, some of those ingredients before, and they may say, "Well, wait a second. I've used those actives, and I've put them out way in advance of planting." Obviously, wheat is a little different. The label's just a little different. You made the comment at planting for sh- or shortly thereafter. What's the difference there? Is it just the sensitivity that wheat has, and and just trying to be really cautious about crop safety? Is it a weed control thing? What what's the recommendation on timing and why?
4: Yeah, no, you know, for the most most of the country, and uh, other than like the Pacific Northwest and a few states, we actually have 24c emergency use labels for Anthem Flex as a pre-emergence application, and that's primarily to com- combat herbicide-resistant Italian ryegrass. And those states would be like Tennessee, Kentucky, um, Virginia, Arkansas, some of those more problematic areas where we have that. But um, it is about crop safety. Um, what we want to avoid, guys, is to put that application out. And that be the first drink of water, that be the imbibing fluid that that wheat seed imbibes. Um, because, you know, just like in every other crop, it's a, it's a real challenge to control grasses in a grass crop and broadleaf weeds in a broadleaf crop. Um, so we just want to avoid any unnecessary uh, crop response by just making sure that um, typically when we make that application, it's a delayed pre-application, which a good way to, you know, good rule of thumb on that is, um, is usually plant your wheat into, into good soil moisture, and you know three to four days later, that's when we're going to pull the trigger um, with our burn down and with Anthem Flex and, and get that residual wheat control.
0: Great tips there. We're speaking with Matthew Wiggins with FMC. Matthew, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on.
4: Yeah, absolutely, guys.
0: Ted, uh, back to South Dakota here. Got a friend Lee Lubers with us. He's with Extreme Ag, but also uh, just does a fantastic job farming in south, south Central South Dakota with his brother. Lee, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's about to be a super busy time of year here. And when we think about some of these wheat herbicides, Matthew is just making the point, man, we're harvesting different crops. We're trying to get field work done. And now we got another job. We got to spray wheat. Do you do wheat spraying in the fall? Uh, we've done preys a couple times. Uh, one time
5: we uh, rented some new ground that had a real wild oat infestation, and uh, we got aggressive with the preys and cleaned it right up.
0: Awesome. You know, wild oats is something that uh, anybody that's ever raised oats thinks uh, that's not the most aggressive crop out there. I don't don't really worry about oats so much. It seems like it's fairly easy to kill off oats, but wild oats in a wheat crop. Uh, that can be a huge yield robber, and uh, I know that you mentioned um, getting the pre out there is a big thing. I know there's some post-emerge herbicides too, but man, you got to get after it early on that. Definitely. So when you talk about these these fall treatments or these pre-emerge herbicides, um, when when you look at going into this season with dry weather that that's been across parts of the the region in South Dakota, does that impact what you do with prees if it's dry or if it's wet?
5: Uh, We know we've got to start out our crop clean. Uh, And chemistry, you know, as long as we're not making a lot of dust with the sprayer, uh, we'll put it on wet or dry, whatever whatever we need to do, because we've got to start it out right.
0: I know in the extreme ag group, you got some of these guys in other parts of the country, whether it's a Chad Henderson down in Alabama or Kevin Matthews out of North Carolina, uh, that that you're kind of competing with a little bit and coaching a little bit. What do those guys need to understand about growing wheat in South Dakota that's so different from what they've got?
5: Uh, well, we've all learned to just you know bring our A game when it comes to management season long. Uh, we all learn from each other and. It's nice to learn the tricks from each other and uh, and see what we can adapt to another environment. And we've at, had really good luck doing that.
0: I was hoping you were going to say kochia, Lee, because I know that's something here that we kind of <laughs> wish they could experience a little bit more. How about kochia well, control and wheat? How, how does that go for you? Do you have a, a pre-plan or do you have if you got a good post-recipe for knocking it out?
5: Uh, We have used the pre a couple times on newer pieces of ground to help clean them up. But once we get a field into production, it seems like we have really good luck with post control. And we have so many more tools when it comes to chemistry compared to 10, 15 years ago. Uh, We have a lot more options on the table. And a lot of these newer chemistries do a phenomenal job, and they're easy on the wheat. So they're not going to ding it like they used to back in the old days.
0: Oh, you're right. The The high rates of 2,4-D that some guys were going with was just hard on yield overall. And I, I know you can use some 2,4-D in wheat, but I agree with you. These these new options have sure made things a lot easier. How, how about with your nutrition program? Is fall a time that you're trying to, to get this wheat ground set up or do you do some stuff in the spring? How do you like to do that?
5: Uh, when we're seeding, we always run our starter blend. Uh, we always focus on fertility. Uh, we've got established the plant, the root system, get the crown developed because the clock's ticking before the ground freezes up, and everything that we can do to foster growth in that plant here in the fall, we're always rewarded the next year.
0: Uh, get one one more quick question for you: How far off is harvest in your neck of the woods? Or are you guys already at it?
5: Uh, we're starting, technically tomorrow. We're going to test cut on soybeans
0: outstanding well good luck to you lee and stay safe this harvest really appreciate having you on the show hey thanks talking about winter wheat herbicides and some of the things going on in winter wheat and lee had made a comment there that i think is really good too there are a lot of new herbicides and new options that we've got that we haven't had before so definitely don't just look at well what did i do last time look at what some of those new choices are they may be a benefit for your farm stay tuned we'll be right back
3: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Every week for more than two decades, AgPHD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. You work for results.
5: That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing. Near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
2: No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit mybayerplus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full
5: details.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD radio broadcasting from the Morton studio talking about winter wheat herbicides. And I know I, I thought about this. I'm like, man, we're there. We're, we're already up to winter wheat time. We're, we're going to be putting winter wheat seed in the ground in no time here at all. So got to get prepared for that. And we're talking herbicides today. Got Garrett Schaefer on with us right now at South Dakota State University. Garrett, thanks for joining us. Thanks. You know, I think about these winter wheat herbicides and I know as you travel just across South Dakota that the weeds that farmers are concerned about in one area of the state versus another, it's quite a bit different. I hear a lot of talk about broadleaf weeds like kochia, some of the winter annual weeds, and then I hear talk about grass species, but with the broadleaf weeds... We've got Sharpen. It seems to be a pretty good option. Are there some situations where you'd say, eh, it might not be as good an option as you think, or is that one that, that you're kind of high on too?
2: Uh, yeah, it's a good product. It just, I guess it depends on what you got and when you're talking about applying it, I guess.
0: Yeah, with, uh, with the kochia, I think is probably the number one weed that I hear guys talking about that, man, Sharpen's not cheap, but I might have to bite the bullet because I got a problem field.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, from what we've seen, it, it works well on kochia. Um When it comes to winter wheat, like right now, it seems more the the issues I see that are winter annuals that don't get controlled um, in time. Or, for example, downy brome, if you do have that issue, it doesn't get hit in the fall, and then it becomes a bigger issue in the spring or something along those lines.
0: I totally agree. When, when downy brome tillers out it just seems like it, it gets almost impossible to kill it's more of a can I burn it back enough that it isn't going to hurt my crop so bad so what do you see with that I know the moisture conditions in the fall a lot of guys have talked about it as we were a really dry last fall that it seemed like some of the products we just didn't get enough moisture to get everything going what what do you see this year we have had some some moisture I guess across the state is it going to be good enough we can get decent downy brome control
2: Uh, for for sure in some places the dry areas maybe not but uh, most of the southern part of the state eastern side has gotten majority of the rain so I'd say um, in the fall I mean most research says between 70-95% to control if you do in the fall and it gets it kind of it's very variable in the spring if you do downy brome control anywhere from 35-85% to control research has suggested um so again, if you can do it in the fall, I'd do it if you have that issue. If you don't have the issue, of course, don't do it. So another reason is why you got to know what's in the field before you start spraying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Scouting the fields ahead of time and, and and looking back at field history too, knowing where you normally have some challenges is, is really important. Um, one of the things you had mentioned before, Garrett, was some of the winter annual weeds. If you don't get those under control in the fall, but there's some new chemistries out there. We were just talking with a farmer from South Dakota and he said, man, you got to look at some of these new chemistries. We got lots more options. What do you think, what do you see from Elevore? What has the research shown on on uh, combination products that have Elevora in there, like Wide R Match. Are those good choices for us with these winter annual weeds?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the basics still work good. Um, it depends on resistance levels. We usually don't have too many problems in that area. But, yeah, those those combinations are going to be better because instead of tank mixing, now you, you just have to buy one jug or whatever, and uh, it's easier. Um, that's usually why products are becoming that way. It's just easier for the end, end producer, end uh, applicator, But, yeah, they're going to be good on those winter animals. The big thing with that is just get them before they start bolting, which in South Dakota, if you don't do it in the fall, um, you don't get the opportunity to do it, and the spring might be the same situation or maybe even worse. It depends on weather we have in the spring, especially as you go north.
0: You're right. Yes. As you go north, it gets even more of a challenge. And, you know, it's still pretty nice out now, but that that can turn in a hurry in the fall. There's no question about that. Uh, one other question for you. How about the Group 15s? How about the Zidua and the Anthem Flex? What have you seen with that? Is there a fit for that in South Dakota?
2: We, as far as I know, we have not looked into those too often, so I can't speak on those specifically.
0: Yeah, we were talking about Italian ryegrass before, and I, I agree with you. The downy brome seems to be a, a lot bigger issue for a lot of the South Dakota growers. At least that's the the questions that we get to, and and then certainly the broadleaf side of things. There at least there's some choices now. That's one thing that's been really nice over the years that we've gotten more herbicides that that we have to choose from. With the with the evaluation of these herbicides, uh, small plot research. Where does South Dakota State do small plot research on winter wheat, and where can our listeners find that? That information?
2: Uh, so that we have plots across the eastern side of the state. Um, it's on our STSU Extension's website, but also most winter wheat area courses in the central part, south central. Um, Dakota Lakes Research Farm is a wonderful resource um, for uh, many things when it comes to row crop production. So I go to Dakota Lakes and they have a website as well, or call them and they're willing to give you a, a tour of the farm. And if you're out west, West River, Uh, We definitely have a research farm out there as well um, near Sturgis. Um, And Chris Graham's agronomist out there, he'd be glad to talk to. you. Good resource out there as well.
0: Yeah, it's been really nice. We've had such an asset here with South Dakota State and and the extension research that's been done across our state. It's been been great for many years and and a true resource for us. Talking with Garrett Schaefer here with South Dakota State University. Garrett, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. and Good luck here this busy uh, harvest season.
2: All right, thanks, sir. Bye. Have a good
0: day. Okay, Brian. Winter wheat herbicides, and and I'm I'm just going to go back to the comment that that Lee Lubbers had made earlier. That man, there are just more options than ever. And you know, when we've got some of these problem weeds, if we're using uh, some of these new things, like we had mentioned, the Elevore, the Anthem Flex, uh, uh, or Zidua Chemistry. There are just some other choices out there, pre, that can take care of so much of this pressure in the fall. It's it's a big asset for growers right now and something they should certainly be looking into.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the Elevore is fine. It's just a burn down product. It depends on if you need burn down. In front of winter wheat, usually the the burn down isn't quite as tricky I would say as in front of some of the other crops. But yes, Elevore is a good burn down product. Actually where I like the Elevore better is with some of the post sprays. So for example, Pixaro or Widar match. That Widar match thing That's, in my opinion, the real deal. So if you look at wide match that's been out there, that basically was great on two weeds, thistle and kochia. Now granted, those are probably the two biggest weeds on the majority of wheat farms, at least in our region of the country, but still it was weak on most everything else. We get the Elevore in there, that's a group four, so that's similar to 2,4-D and dicamba without the crop injury, at least what we've seen so far. So... I'm I'm really excited to see more Widar Match and Pixaro and some of these things that do contain that elevor active ingredient. Anyway, the big thing I would just say right now is starting clean and starting with a good, not just burn down, but something that does give you some residual. So that's why a little earlier I mentioned sharpen, prepare, and Anthem Flex or Zidua, but it's just the Anthem Flex as the active ingredient from Zidua as well as aim for burn down. In addition to that, a lot of people are going to throw some Roundup in or something else in for burn down, but be a little bit careful with what you're doing. Number one, Roundup's a much higher price than it was last year, so if you don't want to spend a fortune, if you actually don't need the glyphosate, you don't have to obviously throw it in. Uh, the other thing is, a lot of people will throw 2,4-D in on their burn down. I'm not a hu- huge fan on that, just like I am not a huge fan of throwing 2,4-D in for a burn down in front of corn. 2,4-D absolutely hurts corn and it hurts wheat. Now, it might not hurt, you know, 50 bushels or 20 bushels or even three, but if it hurts it just a little bit, that's not great. You want to get your wheat off to a fantastic start this fall. I, I would also mention on the, and this is a little different than herbicide, but we're talking weed control here. The best thing you can do to have great weed control Is Just have a great stand out there. If you have a healthy crop, you're going to be in much better shape in terms of choking out those weeds. So what I'm talking about here is use a good seed treatment and then do the right things for fertility. I know fertilizer is expensive, but if you don't have balanced and ample fertility out there, your crop doesn't get started right. And when it doesn't get started right, it's not going to get ahead of those weeds like it should. And then you end up spending more on herbicide and you end up having lower yield. So fertility is really huge as are things like seed treatment, just getting that wheat seed planted well, getting it to emerge quickly and all that.
0: We've been talking about winter wheat herbicides, but our phone lines are open for your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned.
3: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
5: When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts.
0: And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago
3: Series 2 cornheads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates. And the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater
5: harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information
0: on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotech.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com.
5: We now bring you an important news
4: bulletin. This just in from live action news.
3: Innovation has come to the world of burndown.
1: New Elevor herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevor herbicide today, and ask how you can start elevating your burn
0: down. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. And it kind of works nice on the email sometimes just to lay out a situation. Now, this is certainly one we could talk about over the phone, too. But this comes from Jason. He's up in Ontario, Canada. Uh, he said, long-time listener, first-time call. Well, thanks for the thanks for the call here, Jason, or the question said, you're often talking about bins, dryers, and bin fans and bin fan controls. We're currently taking everything off of our, our, off of our field, going right to the local elevator. We're farming about 400 acres of IP soybeans, corn, and wheat. And that's total between the three is 400 acres. At what point does building grain storage make sense for this number of acres? Uh, Also, if you did do grain storage, what type of setup would you use? We're also running a dairy farm, so we're wondering if the time required to manage the bins would be better spent in the barn. Hey, thanks, Jason. Really appreciate the questions. And I I guess I was just thinking about what's the dollar value of the crops? Now, of those 400 acres, I just – was going with this let's just say you did a third and a third and a third so a third corn a third soybeans a third wheat and let's say that was all for grain if you're taking that corn for silage obviously wouldn't need any bin capacity for that but I just said all right what if he's getting 200 bushel corn 70 bushel soybeans and 100 bushel wheat well that'd be 26,000 bushels of corn 9,000 bushels of beans, 13,000 bushels of wheat. Uh, You got quite a few bushels there. And you think about all those trucks that it's going to take to haul things to town right during harvest. Sometimes that can be a little bit challenging. And I can assume if you have a dairy farm, you got a lot going on there. You're busy every single day that uh, all of a sudden, you know, if we could take one more job off the plate and maybe put stuff in the bin, you might actually be able to spread the workload out a little bit too. So that that's something to think about. But I just ran through the value of these crops. So 26,000 bushels of corn times five bucks, uh, and with all the rounding and everything else I've done, it's over $130,000 worth of crop. On soybeans, 9,000 bushels, say around $12, which it may be even a higher dollar per bushel since they're IP soybeans or identity preserved soybeans. Um, That's over $100,000. And if you're raising 100 bushel wheat, you get over $100,000 worth of wheat too. So you got over $300,000 worth of grain there. And I like to look at the dollars, not just, oh, we're a small farm and I don't know if this would be a good option for us. You got $300,000 worth of grain there. And if you can hold the grain and perhaps – get some additional value out of that grain maybe buy some carry in the market or if you've got wet grain that you can harvest a little bit sooner which I can only imagine again with the dairy and all the work you guys get going on that might be a good thing for you so for me yeah I'd take a look at, at what a bin setup would cost you and bin fan controls to be able to utilize air to take moisture out of grain or potentially put moisture back into dry soybeans for example if the soybeans came off the field at 10 percent If you could get them back up to 13%, that's a lot more value that you get to sell. So I think bin fan controls pay for themselves, so I don't really look at them as an expense. I just look at them as an investment that, depending on the year, depending on what moisture you're able to— to uh, add or subtract from that crop they may pay for themselves in one year or maybe just two or three years so it's a pretty quick payback on the bin fan controls the question is just right now what can you get a bin set up for it may be a little bit expensive right now it may not be super available right now that's just something you'd have to check into with your local providers or just to see hey if i got a bin how much would it cost me and how soon could i get that set up on my farm? But, you know, the other question that I had, too, is are you going to actually have one-third of the 400 acres to each crop, or are you going to say, nope, I've got three-quarters corn, and it's going for silage? In that case, yeah, you you probably don't have enough to justify having all the storage there. Uh, Anything you'd add to that, Brian? Anything you look at on that? If you're raising corn, do you necessarily need a dryer? Could you do it with bin fan controls, or would you say, I'm just using the bins for my wheat and my— my soybeans.
1: It's tough when you don't have a lot of acres. So we farm thirty-two hundred acres now, and even when we were only farming fifteen hundred acres, we invested in a lot of these things. But you know, fifteen hundred is a lot more than four hundred acres. So yeah, we're big believers in having storage on your farm, and you can look at okay, what's a bin cost and how much how how much storage do I actually need if I was to store everything on my my own farm? But I can just say this that there are two main reasons why you want to have all your own storage number one is speed at harvest so you can get it done really fast you don't have to wait in elevator lines and number two is then you can take advantage of the basis and the carry in the market so usually not always and when you got a short crop it's not this way necessarily but usually the basis gets a lot better from harvest until next spring or summer so generally speaking we're gaining 30 cents maybe even 50 cents in some cases on corn and hopefully more than that on beans. So if you do that and you run the math, you go, oh, yeah, maybe I can make that work. But I'll just say this, like all the cement for all of our bins on our farm, we poured ourselves. And we try to do a lot of the things ourselves, figure out how we can minimize the cost of storage per bushel. Because if you don't and you invest a crazy amount of money On a per bushel basis, well, then it's going to be a lot harder to get a hit. The good news is you got cheap interest rates right now. So, because of that, I would say you got a much better chance to make this thing pay than just a few years ago, even though some of the costs are
0: higher, like
1: for a bin and cement and everything else.
0: All right. Thanks for that question. Are you ready for that one or should I take a different one? Okay. Uh, I'm going to take this one from Harlan then in central Minnesota. He said, Guys, I got a question for you about fall thistle spraying. I've got 30 acres of second-year CRP planted to native grasses. This, This August, it was cut and it was baled for hay. It's got a lot of Canada thistle and dandelion. I'm wondering when is the best time to spray? It seems like in the past, I've heard that a good idea would be to spray before the first frost. Well, Harlan, that's good advice. I, I would get right after it this fall. That would be the best thing you could do, and a couple of reasons why. First of all, right now is a good time to kill those weeds. With perennial weeds, they're often storing up energy to be able to survive the winter and to be able to thrive early next spring to compete against your your crop or your grass in this case. So that's a good thing. Uh, second, I just look at man, if you're if you're baling this for hay. And you've got a bunch of weeds in there next spring. That's not good for the hay, nor is it good for your yield. So I think it's important to get it done in the fall as much as you can. For Canada thistle and dandelions, there's a lot of different products that a guy could do. You know, for me, if I'm in CRP and it's going to be in for quite a few years, that opens up a lot of options like Milestone and Tordon, for example, that do have a long residual in the soil. Um, that'd probably be my choice is to use a, a product that, the uh, like Duracore would be another option that, that a guy could run with to get a couple modes of action out there and really knock those things back this fall. Uh, so lots of different choices that you'd have there, but I'd look for something that would have either milestone or Tordon in the mix. If you've got Canada thistle in there to really knock it out. Uh, Thanks for the question, Harlan. We really appreciate that, and good luck to you. And I I agree. Get out there and spray at least a week before the frost if you can. All right. Uh, I had one other one here from uh, TB who said, uh, you guys were talking about nitrogen and how much corn actually needs. I'm wondering about the, the source ammonium sulfate. Is that good to grow your root system? Do your roots really benefit from that particular form of N?" All right, TB. Uh, first of all, nitrogen is good for corn, no doubt about that. You don't want to run short of N. I love the ammonium form because that's not leachable. Uh, it can convert to, to a nitrate type form, but at, at this point, it's a positive charge. NH4. So that's going to hold up in your soil and give your plants a chance to take it in. So your plants can pull that right in and that's a good way to go. In terms of the sulfate, yes, sulfur is another real big key. So if you've got the the nitrogen right and the sulfur right, you're setting your plant up to grow a good root system. Now the big key is not to place too much of that fertility right in the furrow. You want to leave a little bit of distance between the, the plants roots and where that fertilizer is very concentrated so you can either broadcast it and spread it evenly across the soil or you could put it over in a 2 by 2 or in a strip till type situation so you've got a little bit of a buffer there that it's not super concentrated right next to young roots. Thanks for the question TB. We'll get back to more of your questions right after this.
2: Fill once, plant all day.
0: What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide, available for fall. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. If you have an agronomic question, here's your shot. You can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right, get one here from Charles in South Carolina. And he said, I'm planting sunflowers for dove hunting, and I've used pre-emerge herbicides before, but I'm still ending up with grass in the field, and doves really prefer bare ground to feed on. Any suggestions to take care of broadleaf and grass weeds in sunflowers? Ah, oh, great question, Charles. You know, when we look at pre-emerge herbicides, a lot of times people feel like, well, if I use one— I'm in good shape, and there really isn't a perfect one out there. So we like to use multiple modes of action. That way we can control a lot of different weeds and hopefully get that control to last as long as possible. With sunflowers, if you're planting them for a crop, uh, hopefully they can canopy and choke out any other weeds that are coming by taking away any sunlight that's hitting the ground, which I know is easier said than done in sunflowers. It seems like there's generally a little bit of sun that's getting through. But here's what we would do for a premier herbicide. First, I, I like starting with one of the yellows, Sonolan or Trifluralin. Then I look at which Authority product I can use, and there are several different Authority products, including uh, Authority Elite, I believe, that has a Group 15 and Authority in it that's what I would use in our state and I guess you can double check what's labeled in your state but now I've got a group 15 I've got a PPO in the authority I've also got a yellow in either Sonalan or Trifluralin. Now with the Sonalan or Trifluralin they do need to get incorporated in the ground so they do need to get stirred in doesn't doesn't have to be the greatest thing but if you had something that would mix like a field cultivator that would be a really nice way to do that. The authority elite could get mixed in as well just make sure you're keeping it pretty shallow. So don't dig any deeper than two or three inches deep in the soil. That's really all it takes to get them mixed in safely and get them working for you. So that's what I would do. The, um, the Sonolan or Trifluralin, whichever one you can get, the Trifluralin's a little cheaper, Sonalan's just a little bit better. Uh, but it's not. A lot of guys will say, "Well, I can find trifluralin, but my dealer doesn't have sonolin. That's fine. You can use trifluralin. Uh, that does a great job on the grasses, and it's also okay on some of those small-seeded broadleaf weeds. And then adding the Authority Elite in there, you've got uh, a couple different modes of action that are going to be pretty good on the small-seeded broadleaf weeds, especially the Authority or Spartan parts. So that would be my combination product that I do, and. I think you'll be as good as you can be anyway in, in terms of weed control. Thanks a lot, Charles, and good luck with the, with the dove hunting as well. Got this one from Brendan, and Brendan said, uh, I'm raising some canola here, and he said, I'm sending you pictures. The canola was swathed over a month ago because we were in a drought. and The yield was poor now we've gotten close to six inches of rain and our canola fields look like this. So in his picture, we can see a lot of yellow, a lot of flowering canola out in the field. He said, now I'm wondering what to do. Now I've been talking to some cattle farmers as they're short of feed and they're potentially interested, wondering what value this would have if we go in with a high-speed disc and just till it into our soil, if there are benefits to doing that or not. Well, if somebody wants to feed it up and You can get some value out of it that way. That's what I would do if it was me. I'd try and get it out of the field. But let's say that you wanted to burn it off with herbicides. You certainly could. There's a lot of different herbicides that could work. I like Freelex. That's been a nice product. The new 240 doesn't have any volatility issues. It's been a nice way to kill. volunteer canola also you could add some valor in there you could do a fall valor treatment in front of a lot of different crops valor's been pretty effective as well adding some residual control but if you're going to just till it in the ground if you can get it before it goes to seed and just kind of do like a green manure crop you can certainly do that as well it's up to you i mean if it was me i think i'd sell sell it off and and get some value out of that right now you just have to replace the fertility value that's all so i don't know how much fertility is in that canola there's going to be some no doubt about that but you're going to need to soil test after you're done with whichever process you do here to see what nutrients are left and what you're going to need to do for that next crop Good luck to you, Brendan. Really appreciate the question. And and yeah, I know what you mean. We, we had some oats that we had around our Ag PhD field day site and man, that was a great cover crop with, with what was left out there and what regrew in the field. So here you go. You got a great cover crop and something growing all through the season. Oh, and by the way, your lawn looks pretty green in the front too. So I, I get what you're saying. That six inches of rain really has recharged everything, which always helps with optimism going into the next crop. All right, um, our phone lines are open again, 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd, if you have a question for the Ag PhD mailbag. We were talking about winter wheat earlier today, too, and we do get a lot of questions around the seeding rate. I just wanted to comment about that rather than answer specific questions, just in general talking about seeding rates in, in winter wheat. Uh, One of the things that I think has been pretty interesting is that the world record grower down in New Zealand is planting about half the seeding rate that we're planting here, but he's got a huge strategy. It's not just one thing because I have people say, oh, well, that's all I have to do is just plant a lower rate. No. He's doing a lot of things, and one of them is planting a lower seeding rate, but the other is trying to establish multiple tillers and get them all coming at the same time by using growth regulators and different things to, to make that happen. His crop canopy is very thick. It's really impressive. So I would look at trying a few different rates on your farm, just like we would with any other crop. So a lot of guys will say, well, what should I do? A million seeds, a million and a quarter, a million and a half? Um, I think the world record was set with something like eight hundred and fifty thousand seeds per acre. So it's not necessarily more, more population means more yield. The other thing that that um, that he's doing is trying out just individual plants to see how they tiller and so forth and comparing all the varieties and then he's planting a lot of different varieties across the farm too just to see which ones are going to work the best for his management system and how he's going to have to do things a little bit different so i don't doubt that the ideal population is going to vary from one variety to the next but the only way to figure that out is to do a little trial and error all right brian i uh, get a question here complicated math problem this one comes in from austin he said guys i've been doing soil test data versus yield data for the past three years on my farm but uh, i i didn't really get it all to click till i listened to your soil test podcast just a few days ago and you mentioned adding trend line graphs so i'm pretty decent with excel but i'm not very good with graphs unfortunately so i'm attaching what i've got so far just wondering if you could give me a pointer or two
1: Okay, so first of all, there's not a lot of data here, and that's part of the problem. There are only, here I'm just counting it up, 40 points of data. So that's, in my opinion, potentially not enough data to, to tell us anything. The other thing is a lot of the data points are the same, or, or the numbers are the same. So almost all your phosphorus levels are really low. Uh, let's see, I'm getting an average here, 23 available parts per million on a P1 test. So to us, that's really, really low. And so what we usually do is we're pushing some stuff to find out, hey, does this work or does it not? If everything is low, it's going to be really hard to tell because obviously all your fertility got used up during the course of the year. The next thing that I would say here is if you're going to make this work, you have to do GPS points for soil tests. So I don't know how, how big an area you're soil testing in. So what we usually would recommend to people is just take a pickup or a four-wheeler or something, drive out to that area in the field, and right there you get your GPS point, and right there is where we need our yield from, or just let's call it a radius of 10 feet, So if we have a radius of 10 feet for yield and for soil, then we're in good shape. But if you start pulling grids, or I should say soil cores across a big area, a lot of people like to wander through five acres and pull soil cores and then mix it together. Well, that's never going to tell you anything. You're wasting your time. You got to pull it from a very small area and then look at the yield from right there. So that could be why you're not seeing much. The other thing is you have like one thing that'll be way skewed so for example there's one spot where you have phosphorus at 190 parts per million the next highest in the whole field is 50 and the next highest in the whole field is uh, like or sorry 60 and then the next one is 38 so you only have you have so few things i think that's part of the problem why you're seeing anything but, yeah, in terms of oh the, the type of graph that you ran, um, do a scatter chart. Pick a scatter chart that will help you much more. So you highlight the two columns you want to compare, do a scatter chart, and then click on the scatter with only markers, and you should be in good shape.
0: Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.